I want to start by asking, is anyone here worried about anything? Like, show, raise a hand. Does anyone here have anything that they're worried about at this point? Like, just anything. Okay, we're all worried. I'm worried right now about how this study is going to go. But God is here, and God has something really specific he wants to say to you guys about your worries. So I'm excited about that. It's all here in his word, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to pull out my notes because I just realized I can't teach without them. There we go. So if we're looking at worry, the Oxford Dictionary defines it as a state of anxiety and uncertainty over actual or potential problems. That's key because we worry about stuff that we know is happening to us, and then we all worry about stuff that we're like, I don't know, this might happen. We worry about things that haven't even happened yet, but we wonder, will they happen? And when they happen, what will the consequences be? And how will it affect my life? And will my life spiral out of control when this happens? Um, There is a really old archaic expression called worrying a bone, which I discovered from Oxford too. So it says, um, this is apparently something like back in the day, you'd see your dog chewing on a bone. You'd say, oh, he's worrying a bone. No one says, does anyone here say that? Does anyone ever say that your dog is worrying a bone? Okay, well, it means the action of a carnivorous animal to tear at, gnaw on, or drag around with their teeth. So to me, that sums up worry a lot because that's what worry does to us. When we are stuck in worry, it it chews us up and it spits us out. Like worry just gnaws on us and drags us around. I think with worry, a lot of times the problem is we're worshiping the wrong gods. The God that we worship determines how we act. I know you guys are thinking like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I worship God, like the God. <laughs> I think it's funny that we call him God because he's totally got a name. It'd be like if I was like, hey, person, God's like a deity, be like, hi, deity. Yahweh is his name, which is awesome that he has a name. Anyway, the God that we worship a lot of times can be self. It can be popularity. It can be fashion. It can be, I mean, think about it. What do you worry about the most? A lot of times, whatever you worry about the most can be your God. Like, whatever you stress out about the most, whatever you freak out about the most can be what is controlling you. I think as quickly as we start loving false gods, they stop loving us. So you guys all know Rihanna, great, like, talented musician. Um, She was doing a huge tour. She was on a concert that literally, like, on this tour, every concert that she did cost more than most successful musicians make in their lives. She was at the peak of her success, but she couldn't enjoy the tour. Why? Because she was constantly freaking out and withdrawing herself and going into her dressing room just stressed out because she had this anxiety that at any moment her fans would stop loving her. At any moment, people would leave her. At any moment, people would forsake her. Even though she was at the top of her gang, even though she was making so much money that most people, like even successful musicians, couldn't even measure up, she was freaking out because she was constantly worried that her friends and her fans would leave her. 
Or think about Lady Gaga. When she came out, everybody was so impressed. Even myself, like I was like, man, this, uh, this lady's really creepy, but she's very creative. Um, they said she was out of the box. They said she was the most creative musician since David Bowie, and I'm a huge Bowie fan. That guy was really creative. Um, but an article came out recently about Lady Gaga, and it was titled The Loss of Lady Gaga's Fame. During a five-year period from when she was at the top, five years later, her fame was basically gone. Um, She released an album called Art Pop, and the critics called it Art Flop because they were like, she's trying too hard, she just can't do it. Um, Most of her entourage, the people who are her staff, quit. She lost $46 million on the album, and she had to pretty much fire half of her staff, and the other half pretty much quit. So you can see that when we put fame as our God, this is just an example of one God we can have, We love it, but it stops loving us. And that's true of any false god. Anything that we choose to put above God, any idol in our life, leads us away from God. And it's just, they're not a trust, it's not a trustworthy thing to worship. We can't count on it. We can't count and rely on worshiping anything but God. Um, So there's something called narcissism. I don't know if you guys have heard of that or know what it means, but. I looked at this, it's a good infographic. It's saying, what is narcissism? Narcissistic personality disorder involves a preoccupation with self and how one is perceived by others. Narcissists pursue gratification from vanity and the admiration of their own physical and intellectual attributes. Can't talk today. So this is talking about people who are selfish, and this really can be us. In the generation that we live in, the generation that I live in, we are very focused on what people around us are thinking of. In fact, we can tend to worry a lot about what people perceive us as. This is some different things that are signs of that narcissistic personality I think we all struggle with. One is um, unilateral listening, which is listening only to dismiss, negate, ignore, or minimize, or otherwise make someone else's concerns irrelevant. Another one is being preoccupied by self, which is acting selfishly as if being generous generally only um, responsive to their own concerns. Another one is being above the rules, where we feel like we're above others and the rules don't apply to us. Uh, We can have the inability to take criticism. When people criticize us, we're like, I don't want to hear that. Uh, Refusal to take responsibility. If you're involved in a problem, you really only see the faults of others and you don't see the part that you had to play in it. And another one is being quick to anger, being just angry at what people say at us, and it's all just this selfish, self-centered personality that we can very easily develop. And one of the things that um, has been said is that this selfishness of our generation has led to anxiety and suicide among students. People who are so focused on themselves and the way people perceive them and the way that their image is get so caught up with the pressure of maintaining that image that it has led to just constant anxiety and even suicide. And I think it's true because what we do is we put out our best self. We really do. Like there's this obsession with putting out like what is the best version of me. None of us are like doing Instagrams in the morning where it's like, all right, here's my actual just got out of bed Instagram. 
Like, here's me, like, in the bathroom, like, washing my face. Here's me, like, picking something green out of my teeth. We would never, ever do that. What we do is we set up the shot where it's absolutely our best self going out. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with taking selfies or doing Instagram stuff. But what I'm saying is what can creep into our mindset is an obsession with worrying about what other people think of us. And when we're constantly worrying, I think what Jesus would say right off the bat is, look at some birds. Seriously, that's what he'd say. Let's read it in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, look to the birds. He says, do not worry. Verse 25, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, he says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. I cut that off. It messed up the timing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The first thing Jesus is trying to get us to see is that we don't need to worry. Now, understand, like, what Jesus isn't saying is like, hey, go with the flow, bro. Just like, don't do anything and God will take care of everything. Live in your parents' basement until you're 40. It'll all work out. It'll all be great. That's not what he's saying. Um, God calls us to a life of passion and mission and accomplishments for him. What he's talking about today is those who are suffering from the anxiety of life. And that might be you here today. You might be sitting here in your chair struggling with some of the many anxieties of life. Maybe for you, it's grades. It's I've just got to keep them up. I've got to get those grades up because my parents have expectations and their standards, and I've got to reach those expectations and those standards to be accepted. I've got to figure out what school I'm going to, what my future is. Maybe for some of you, it's appearance. It's, oh man, I don't have the clothes that he has or she has, and if I had those clothes, then I could look cool, but I don't look cool, so don't take my picture. No, because I don't look cool enough. Like someone brings out a camera, you're just like, no, 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 because you and your in your own heart don't feel like you measure up to the standards of what is currently out there for some of you it's it's fitting in it's trying to fit in and feel like you actually belong somewhere in your group of friends a lot of times we try so hard to fit in but all the while we're doubting ourselves in every social interaction thinking did did they really like did, did i just say that like i can't believe like i hope that wasn't awkward i hope they don't hate me that was pretty much me my entire high school every social interaction everything i said was just constantly like, oh, that was awkward. Um, Some of you guys who know me, you're like, yeah, you're still awkward. I know. Um, For some of you, it's sports. It's I've got to be the best on the field. Our team has to win. If our team doesn't win, I don't know what's going to happen. For some of you guys, it's even your career. Some of you guys are doing jobs right now. You've started working, and you're wondering, like, is this all there is to it? Like, am I going to be stuck in this dead-end job forever? How am I ever going to advance? How am I ever going to move up? I think my coworkers hate me. This is really scary. Um, There's so many reasons to worry. I I feel like maybe I'm bumming you out right now. You're sitting here and you're like, yeah, thank you for dropping all those things that I try to like shift under the rug of my mind. Thanks for pulling them out in the open. But listen, Jesus says we don't need to worry. He says you don't have to worry. And to prove it, to prove that even with the big stuff of life, we don't have to worry. Jesus starts out with the small stuff. He starts out pointing out the most basic things. And he says, he says, look 
Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is calling us out on worrying and obsessing over like the most basic necessities of life. Jesus is saying, listen, like why are you stressing out so much? Like isn't life more than food and clothing? Now, for some of us, (laughs) we can feel a lot of times like there are reasons to worry about these things. We can be pretty concerned with food. Um, I, a lot of times, am very concerned with food. Like, my wife and I will be, like, sitting on the couch, and I'll be like, where do you want to go? I don't know. That's what Brooklyn sounds like. Where do you want to go? And we'll just, like, debate back and forth, like, are you in the mood for pizza? Oh, we just had pizza, like, a week ago. What about Mexican? And we'll, like, freak out, and, like, like sometimes we'll spend, like, an hour trying to figure out where we're going to eat. And it's just, like... It's so easy to worry about. We go to food places and we line up the perfect food selfie. I feel like that's dying out though. I feel like when Instagram first came out, people were like, my life is really boring, so I'm just gonna take pictures of all my meals. And maybe that's what happened. Um, I don't see as many of those meal selfies anymore. What would they call them, meal fees? I don't know. I don't know what that word would be, a meal selfie. See, I told you I was awkward. (laughs) So. We can be pretty concerned with food. I think clothes, though. Clothes are a big deal right now. A lot of you guys are like, yeah, clothes are a big deal right now in my life. What we can call them, this isn't a dirty word. It's a real word. You can take it home with you. Um, A man who's obsessed with his image and clothing and style is labeled as metrosexual. Um, And that just means a guy, it's, it's, it's not like saying he is... He, you know, his identity and orientation is anyway, it's basically just a weird way of saying that guy is really, really, really into clothes and style. And I think in California, we see that a ton. Like, the amount of money some of you dudes spends on socks alone is ridiculous. Like, they're, like, patterned, and they got animals and, like, crazy things on them, and people only see, like, this much of them. It's crazy. But we care. We care about fitting in. We care about looking the way everybody else looks. I care about it, absolutely. I want to fit in. I don't want to be the one guy in the picture who looks lame. Many of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You, You think clothes make the man or clothes make the woman. And I think the crazy thing is that no one of us woke up this morning and said, I don't have a shirt, so I guess I'm just gonna go to church with no shirt on. Like, none of us woke up and said that. Some of us woke up and probably like, looked in the closet and were like, Ugh, I have nothing to wear. Ugh, these clothes are so last week. Like, that can be the way that we act. That can be the way that we think. But really, we all have clothes. It's, it's crazy. In America, I mean, the poorest of us are richer than people in some foreign countries. There are countries where people are literally starving naked or in rags on the side of the street. And even our homeless people actually eat pretty decently and wear clothes. We live in a culture that is driven by the idolatry of like vanity. And what that means is the idolatry of like, I need stuff to fulfill me so that I can display my stuff so that people can take a look at me and take a picture of my stuff and glorify me in my stuff. And it's true, like I'm, I'm reading this, I'm studying this, I'm just getting so convicted because a lot of times that's just what life is for us here. Like it's like, what are we gonna do? Like we're, we're sitting around at home, it's like, what are we gonna do? Let's take pictures of me in my outfit and show it off. 
Let's go on a hike so that we can like take pictures of ourselves and show ourselves off. Like Brooklyn and I have done that. We've been like, like we will be on a date and it's like, this date didn't happen if we don't selfie it. Like that's just the way we can be sometimes. But a lot of times our idolatry is driven by vanity where basically our focus is just we want people to see the way we look and how we live and how we act and glorify in that. Brooklyn and I have started again watching American Idol again. And I was thinking, who makes it through American Idol? It's the people that society looks at and says, you have worth because you look good and you can sing good. It's what's called you have the whole package. There's been people who've gone through who had good voices, but they didn't necessarily look the part, so they're passed on. And I think this contributes a lot to like our worrying about how we look because Every reality show we watch, everything that's on TV, like we're constantly being bombarded with the people who are accepted and passed through and valued are the people who look a certain way. And even are, are people who, who do something well. Um, for family camp, it was super, like it, it just shows you how deep this concept like burrows into our mind like an earworm into the brain. Um, I, I wrote a play for family camp called Loner Boy, um, and it was based on an old play that Jason Duff wrote, and Peter Denham played Loner Boy, and Loner Boy was like this geek with like high-waisted pants, like floppy hair, he already had that, but he like really flopped it out, and Pete was like wearing these huge glasses and just being a total nerd, and everyone hated him, but then like the more of the story was, he's like, well, I guess I'm just gonna play my guitar by myself. And then like Pete starts playing the guitar and he starts singing amazingly. And the play ends with everyone going like, oh, we totally misjudged you, loner boy. Like, come hang out with us. Like, come be our worship leader. And I like wrote that. And that was like the Christian family camp play, moral, the story. And I sat back and I was like, I just wrote a play about like your value. Like people will like you if you can do something well. Like, not because God made you beautiful, like, not because um, God created you to be accepted and loved because he accepts and loves you, regardless of your talent or your looks or your ability. It just shows you how, how deep that mindset goes. I struggled with my, with my whole life. Wow, that was weird. Um, I feel like my brain is shutting down today. I woke up this morning, and I've got, like, hives on my neck, and my neck is, like, swelling. So if I just die in the middle of this, uh, Trevor, you can come on up, and my notes are up here. You can try to figure it out. But anyway, my whole life I struggled with looking at the guy next to me saying, I'm not as cool as him, therefore I don't deserve love. And I would worry and freak out and say, what do I have to do for people to accept me? And I think some of you guys might deal with that. I mean, girls, it's sad. It's sad for you today that if you look at models and fashion shows, the standard of beauty that's being set up for you guys is basically like, hey, girls, if you want to look pretty, look like an eight-year-old boy. <laughs> that's pretty much what the fashion models look like. Like, is that cool? Is that attractive? I don't know. That's weird. Um, but anyway, God looks at everyone and gives love equally. The first thing we need to understand is that God cares. I've never seen a bird worry. I went for a walk the other day, a bird just flew right by me, didn't even stop to like consider my feelings, it zipped by me, like scared me legitimately, like I thought something was attacking me because it was like, whoosh, and I, I freaked out. 
but it's just this bird flying around. I've never seen a bird worry. They're totally taken care of. And listen, the God who created the birds and created the universe has your life in his hands. He loves you. He created you, and he's got everything figured out. What's a father's job? Well, you're like, well, my dad has a different job than his dad. Like, do all, are all dads supposed to have the same job? Yeah, primarily taking care of their children, providing for their children. And God loves his children. Listen, 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 listen. If you're here today and you don't feel loved and you don't feel valued and you are stressed out and you're worried, you need to know that God loves you and he is going to take care of you. Imagine like going into a bakery and you see the baker and you're like, oh man, Mr. Baker, I just, <laughs> I just don't know. I just don't know if that bread's going to get baked, man. I just, I don't know if it's going to happen. I'm just, I'm super worried. I'm stressed out about it. The baker would be like, hey, whoa, hey, it's not your job. Like, calm down. I'm the baker. I'm going to make that bread, man. If you went to, like, the garbage man, and you're like, oh, man, Mr. Garbage Man, I just don't know about my trash. I don't know if it's going to get taken out. Like, it's just sitting here. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm sweating bullets over this, Mr. Garbage Man. The garbage man would be like, whoa, whoa, hey. I'm the garbage man. I'm going to take out your garbage. Cool it, man. I think you have a serious mental problem. He'd be like, hey, that's not your job. The baker would say to you, like, it's not your job to worry about the bread. I'm the baker. Let me worry about the bread. The garbage man says, it's not your job to worry about the garbage. I'm the garbage man. And God would say to you, it's not your job to worry about your life. That's his job. He's the one who looks at your life, and he just has these plans and thoughts and hopes and dreams for you. And that's his job to worry about that stuff. And he doesn't have to worry because he's God, and he's got it all figured out. It's not our job to worry. And we can have the wrong view because maybe you had a dad like mine sometimes, you know, like sometimes dads, they just get, you know, they get frustrated that us children because sometimes, you know, we're driving and it's like, are we there yet? Are we there yet, dad? Are we there, dad? Are we there yet, dad? Dad, I really, I gotta pee, dad. Are we there yet, dad? And like my dad would just be like, just calm down. Like I've got it, figure it out, just, just, be quiet. Leave it to me. I'm the dad. I'm driving. I'm the dad. We can have that view of God. You know, we're, we're just, we're, we're like scared to come to God with our like fears and hopes and dreams and worries. And we're afraid God's just gonna be like, hey, I'm God. Like, just, just, just trust me and don't ask questions because I'm God. And you just don't, don't doubt. Don't you dare doubt. Don't you dare complain. Just, I'm God. We can have that view of God. I'm sure you've had that in your life. Like you've been maybe afraid to come to God or, or neglectful to come to God in your problems because you just have this view where God's like, just trust me. I've got everything in control. Listen, the Bible says that if the tiniest bird falls and hits its head, God desperately cares about that. How much more does he care about you? The Bible tells us, cast all your cares upon him. Lay your burdens down at his feet. And I think so many of us are so stressed out about our problems, trying to figure them out on our own, trying to think through, maybe you're like me and you lose sleep at night and you're laying in bed and just, you're just like rolling through all the possibilities and all the potential ways you could die in your head. And, and God's just like, cast your cares upon me. Lay your burdens at my feet. God's like, hey, you got problems? You got complaints? You got concerns? Like, I've got an ear. I'm ready to listen. 
God is always willing to listen. Sometimes people even got mad at God. David, he would get mad at God about the stuff that was going on in his life, and he'd write, and you think he'd write these letters to God, like, God, I'm so upset. Where are you? I don't understand. Do you think God was like, I'm so offended, you horrible man, and like flicked him into like the next field? No. No. God can take it. And I'm not, I'm not like advocating like just go around yelling at God all the time. But what I am saying is, when you're frustrated, when you're upset, when you're worried, God is your Father in heaven who wants to hear your cries. He wants, he wants to spend time with you. And time doesn't always have to be like, let's go have fun, or I'm going to read my Bible for five hours. Leviticus, so good. No. <laughs> Sometimes time with God is like pouring out your heart and letting him know how you feel and letting him know what you're frustrated at and then watching as the comfort and the peace that surpasses all understanding floods our hearts. It's amazing. God cares. He cares about when our plans come crashing down, when we build our little towers for ourselves. Look at that. That's sad. She was so hopeful. Her future was so bright. And then, but God sees that and he loves that and he wants to take care of that. Cast all your cares upon him. The next point for today is just really simply that worry adds nothing and takes everything. You might want to write that down. Worry adds nothing and takes everything that we have. Jesus says in verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? He's saying like, hey, you want to be taller? When has worrying ever made you taller? Never. I've worried about lots of things. I worried about my height growing up. I, I, ne I never was like, oh, I'm so worried. And all of a sudden, psh, seven feet tall. I'm 5'11". Like, really? Just one more inch. Come on. 5'11"? I want to be six. That would be amazing. 5'11's lame. I've worried about my beard. You know, it's like patchy and doesn't come in on the sides. It's super lame. But no amount of me going like, oh, come on, like, has ever made it pop out. It doesn't happen. How do you get taller? You have to grow. <laughs> you have to go through the process. And the thing is, you're going to grow. Well, some of you. <laughs> I've talked to some of you and said, hey, when are you getting taller? And I've heard, like, I think this is it. <laughs> I think this is the end of the road for me at this point. And that's okay. I respect that. Um, but listen, the way you get taller is by going through the process of growing, and you're going to grow. Worrying isn't going to change that. The question is, what are you going to grow into? That's where worrying comes in. As you're growing as a person, you're going to grow. No matter what, you're going to go through things. You're going to go through trials and tribulations. But here's the thing. Some people, they go through the trials and tribulations of life, and they grow, but they don't grow towards Jesus. They don't get bigger. They, they just get nasty. A lot of times when people grow as a person through trials and tribulations, if their eyes aren't focused on Jesus, they just grow into bitter people, nasty people, like angry at the world people because they didn't put their trust in Jesus. You're going to grow. How are you going to grow? Shakespeare says this, doubts are traitors 
and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. It's a great quote. As we're going through life, our doubts betray us. Our worries get in, and they keep us from the good we might have done if we would have just dared to attempt. And God is calling you guys to do so many things for him. But what the enemy does, he does this to me all the time, is he creeps in and says, that's a bad idea. That's a terrible idea. Who was at winter camp with us just recently? I want you to know that Satan told me that was a terrible idea. I got the idea to go up there, small group, not a lot of churches, and I was really excited, and the enemy was like, no one's going to come. Everyone's going to hate it. They're going to be like comparing it to regular camp the whole time. They're going to be complaining. It's going to be the worst. And I, I was like listening to the, 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 the devil the whole time. I was just like listening to the enemy. And by the end of camp, that day when you guys all got up and you shared what God had been doing in your lives, I was just blown away at how wrong I was. And the Lord does this to me all the time. He'll tell me to do things, and I'll start doing them, and the enemy gets in and says, this is a bad idea, this is dumb, no one's going to like it, it's going to be terrible. But when we follow God, it is always good. When we do what God has called us to do, it is always good. I remember when I was in sixth grade, I went to school here, Christian school, and I felt like God wanted me to start a Christian club at a Christian school, which didn't make sense because we had Bible every day of the week and chapels, and it was just like another Bible study. Ugh, why? And I really didn't want to do it, but I, know God, I knew God was calling me to do it, but I didn't want to do it. But I went ahead and did it, and I got a friend of mine to play worship, and we were like, no one is going to come to this. We're going to be like the biggest losers. We were actually in this room back when it was two rooms. Just imagine there was a beam down the middle, so we were on that side of the room. Um, I don't even know what the room was called back then. It wasn't the terrace room. It was like room 2030 something, but we were over there. Like 40 people came the first day. And it was just us sixth graders teaching the Bible and playing worship. And like 40 people came. I was just like, Lord, this has nothing to do with me. This is obviously something that you wanted to happen. And there's so many things where God is literally setting it up. He's just putting the pieces together. And he says, now you're the person to put the final piece of the puzzle in. Will you take the challenge? And the doubts come in like, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this. I'm so afraid. I don't know. And God says, listen. Just stop worrying and trust me. He says in verse 28, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not dressed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, I guess they ate grass. I don't know. Um, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God's saying, listen, I've got the birds taken care of. The grass looks amazing. Have you seen a flower? That's amazing. God is saying like a flower and its beauty like is prettier than King Solomon and his fancy robes. And God says to you, in everything you've got going on, like I've got it taken care of. I've got the birds taken care of. I've got the flowers taken care of. And I've got you taken care of. I've got plans for you. I've got purposes for you. I've got dreams for you. Stop worrying. Because listen, worry absolutely adds nothing. 
It adds nothing, but it does take everything. Worry will rob you of joy and happiness, peace and contentment. If you're just sitting around worrying all the time, it has a way of possessing you. It did me. There was one time I was working on a computer. I don't know anything about cars, but I know how to fix a computer. Nerd. I know. So I had this computer open, and I was working on it, when all of a sudden, this black widow like came down its spidery web, and it landed right in my computer. <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> Because the problem was the computer was hidden. Like, it, it was open, not a lot of light. It was at night. And there was, like, little, like, RAM slots and, like, hard drive compartments. It was, like, it's like a little city maze in there. And I didn't even have the right screwdriver. And I was just, I didn't have a flashlight. And I was just looking, and I was like, that Black Widow is in there? And I've got to reach my finger in there if I want to pull out the RAM and put in more RAM so my computer's faster. So I can't, because the Black Widow's in there, so I've got to kill the Black Widow. <sighs> and I started, like, freaking out. And literally for three hours, I was trying to find this Black Widow. I was just, like, looking for it. And, and I, I found it, and I started poking it with the screwdriver, and it, like, jumped at me. Like, it was like, Burr! and it, like, jumped up and, like, almost got my hand. And I screamed like a woman. And then it went, and it hid behind the hard drive compartment. It was, like, hiding this horrible, evil spider. And I was trying so hard to poke at it and get it to come out. And, and then finally, it came out again. It was like, Burr! and I, it, it, like, it jumped out of the computer and it landed on my clothes and I ripped my shirt off and started like running around the house like oh what's going on and it, and it consumed me and I couldn't even sleep that night because that spider was somewhere in the house and I was like it's gonna come back for revenge that's what worry does to us it consumes us to the point where it's all we can focus on and the next thing you know we're jumping around ripping our shirt off no I don't know but we're we're running around freaking out Ripping off our robes of righteousness, lame, horrible joke. <laughs> but we're freaking out, and we're losing stuff. We're losing our joy. We're losing our contentment. We're losing our peace. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're probably worried about something right now, and God is like, hey, I just want to be with you. I just want to encourage you. And you're like, no, spider. Like, that's what worry does to us. Even the worry, this is a big one, the worry against our own sinfulness. Where you've messed up, maybe you've been going good for a while and everything's been great and then you blow it and you make a mistake and you start worrying like, am I even saved? Like that thing I did, like a Christian wouldn't do that and I was supposed to be a Christian but I did that thing so maybe I'm not a Christian and you start freaking out, you start worrying like, does God even love me? I've messed up too much for him to love me. I can't follow him. I can't serve him because I'm a sinner and then you forget that Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. That's what Jesus said. I'm the doctor, and everybody who thinks they're perfect, and everyone who thinks they're okay, and everyone who thinks that, like, they don't stink, I didn't come for them. Like, they're going to come to their own end. They've got their own problems. Because what he wasn't saying was, like, oh, those people who think they're perfect, yeah, they're perfect. No, he's saying the people who think they're perfect are not perfect. All have sinned. No one is righteous, not one. 
And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm coming for the people who've sinned and know it. The people who are just like, so like, I blew it, I messed up, I'm a failure. Jesus is the one who says, I want to step into your world and say, I'm here for you, and I love you, and I've got a plan for you. You're on the ground, the enemy wants to keep you down. Get back up and keep walking with me. You can follow Jesus as a sinner. That's why he came to pick you up, dust you off, and put you on his path. And not just to say, all right, see you when you get to heaven, but to walk that path with you. There was, I was reading online the story of um, like a bunch of worst first dates. And there was one where there's a guy and a girl, and the guy said like, you know, things were going well. So we started, you know, kissing, you know. Come to our dating series. We'll, 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 we'll tell you how it really is. But, you know, these, these people weren't Christians. So, you know, first date, started making out. What I didn't know was she had a nosebleed. <laughs> so we're just kissing and kissing and kissing and kissing. And then I pulled back, and we both looked like murder victims, <laughs> just like zombies. Worrying bleeds out of us and covers everyone around us. Like everyone that you come in contact with, everyone that you're involved with, if you're just worrying all the time, that spreads. Be the kind of person when everyone's freaking out to say, hey, listen, God is in control. God is here. God is with us. Let's pray. Let's give this to God. Those are the kind of people that I love. The people who I know that when I'm freaking out, I'm like, how is this even going to work? I don't understand. Everything's coming down. The people that are my friends who say, Aaron, we got to pray. Like, stop worrying. Let's give this to Jesus right now. Those are the people I truly value in my life. Be that kind of person for other people because worrying is the enemy of faith. And just remember Peter walking on the water. You guys know the story. He's one of Jesus' top disciples, and he's on the boat, and Jesus comes out, and Jesus is walking on the water, and everyone's freaking out, like, oh my gosh, is he a ghost? But Peter says, no, it's the Lord. I'm going out there. And everyone's like, Peter, you're crazy. You'll drown. But Peter starts walking on the water, and he's looking at Jesus, and all the power he needs to walk on that water is in Jesus. But you know what? He started to worry. He looked at the wind and the waves and the seas crashing around him, and worrying added nothing, but it took everything because it made him sink. It took all of his faith. All of it was gone in an instant. Now, here's the thing. Peter did not drown. Jesus didn't let him drown. Jesus didn't say, you terrible disciple. See ya. All right, John, you're next. Come out here for the test of faith. That's not what he said. He didn't tell Peter, you're done. He didn't pull him up on the boat and say, hey, buddy, you tried. You tried to walk on water. You failed. You're done. Go back to fishing. I'm going to get a better disciple. No. Jesus says, I love you, Peter. When Peter sank, he grabs him, and he pulls him back up, and he hugs him, and he puts him in the boat, and he says, I love you. This, this you sunk, but at least you walked for a minute. That's amazing. And guys, for many of you, your life is going to be a lot of moments of walking in faith, and then you see the wind, and you see the waves, and you're going to doubt, and you're going to sink, and the enemy wants you to stay down. But Jesus wants to say, just keep getting back up. Just keep walking. I know you sin. Repent. It's okay. Come on. Let's walk. I know you have doubts. Here. Here's my truth. Get over them. Let's walk together. That's what Jesus says to us. 
Worry wants to take, but Jesus wants to give. Don't let the enemy take from you what God has for you. One thing I want to look at today is just the idea of what are you chasing? In Matthew 6, 31, 32, he says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For you, your heavenly Father, knows that you need all these things. Some of you guys are like, Gentile? I'm a Gentile. In the context, he's talking to the Jews. So he's saying, you who believe in God know this, but those who don't believe in God, the Gentiles, they seek after these things. They're chasing it. So in the context of Christians, think of just everyone who doesn't know Jesus. They seek these things. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Just the basic cares of life, it consumes them. And that is what they're chasing after. Imagine this. Just imagine this very simply. Because that was me, high school. I was chasing after love. Will anyone ever love me? I was chasing after acceptance. Will I ever have a good group of friends? I was chasing after purpose and acceptance and success. And just picture this in this amazing legend that I'm just going to make up on the spot right now. (laughs) Just imagine an adventurer, you know? Adventure time, you know? And he comes to a wizard. So I'm such a nerd. I'm sorry. He comes to the wizard and he's like, oh, oh, wizard, I must go on a quest to slay the dragon and rescue the princess. And the wizard says, what you need is a goblet of fire, a sword of truth, and a shield of awesomeness. And the adventurer goes, all right, I'm going to go get those things. And he starts leaving. The wizard's like, wait, I have something to tell you. And he's like, no time, old man. I'm leaving. And he goes and he quests for like years and years trying to find the goblet of fire and the sword of truth and the shield of awesomeness. And the wizard's just like, I had those things in the other room. (laughs) Like I I totally was just going to like give them like, here you go for free. We spend our life searching for these things, questing for them. I need love. I need acceptance. I need forgiveness. And God's just like, I'm, I've got them right here for you. If you want them, you just got to take them. You just got to ask for them, and I'll give them to you. God looks at you, and he says, I know everything that you need. You don't need to change yourself to appeal to others. God loves you for who you are. We have a deep idol in our heart, which is the desire to be loved. And we look at ourselves, and a lot of times we deem ourselves unworthy of love, which is true in the sense that we're all sinners. There was a study where they got a bunch of people together, And they told them, here's what we're going to do. This is a social experiment. We're going to use high-tech prosthetic makeup to put a hideous scar on your face. And what we want you to do is go into a crowd of people and go to like a doctor's waiting room and see how people treat you once you have the scar. So what they did was they, they put the scar on the people But then before they went out, they took the scar off, but the people didn't know. So they thought they still had it. So then they sent them to the the waiting room. And the people went out, and then they came back, and they asked them, like, all right, so how did people treat you with your scar? And they were like, oh, people looked at me with, like, the dirtiest looks, the evilest evil eye. Like, I just felt hatred from everyone in the room. 
because of my scar. I don't have a scar. Like they, they touch it and it wasn't there. And they, the doctors were like, psych, there's no scar. You just thought everyone hated you for no reason. But in reality, we walk around every day thinking like, oh man, I'm such a sinner. I'm so pathetic. I'm worthless. No one likes me. Like we have these things, these scars in our heart, these things that we hate about ourselves a lot of the times. And we look around at everyone and think that they're judging us. But in reality, those people don't know everything about you. They don't know all your sin. They don't know all your mistakes. A lot of times the things that you think people notice about you that are bad, they're not even thinking of because they're all too focused on themselves. But here's the thing. God knows every sin you've ever committed, every secret thing you've ever done, every bad mistake you've ever made, and he loves you. That's amazing that he knows everything and he still loves us. Stop chasing after the wrong things and chase after God's heart. Chase after God's heart. That's our last point today, which is the kingdom changes everything. Look at verse 33. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. These are, this is beautiful stuff. You see, who's here has ever studied the book of Judges? Anybody? Judges, First and Second Samuel, Ruth. During that time period, there's a phrase that goes out in the Bible. It says this, in those days, there was no king in the land. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's pretty epic stuff, but it's pretty ridiculous. There was a time period in Israel's history where there was no king in the land. So basically, no law, no ruler, no king, and everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. And if you read Judges and First and Second Samuel, it's like a time period where like just gnarly debauchery is happening. People just murdering one another left and right. There's this one story where they, they murder a woman and they chop up her body into like a hundred pieces and they mail pieces of her body to like different towns saying, hey, this will happen to you guys if you mess with us. And it's like at that point where God's just like, this is getting out of hand. There needs to be a king. There's always been a need for a king. When humans are left with no king to their own devices, sin happens. But when there is a kingdom, that means that there's a king. And when there is a king, it changes everything. The kingdom the kingdom of God. That's what this whole Sermon on the Mount is about. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm telling you about my kingdom. Like, not just like, hey, here's Jesus's 10 tips on how to have a great life. No, Jesus is saying, my kingdom is coming, and I'm inviting you to live in the kingdom with me. Not just one day you're going to die and go to heaven, but Jesus is saying, I want to change everything about the way you live right now. It's hardcore, it's not just like bumper sticker Christianity where we put on the back of our car like, oh, praise the Lord and love people. It's like tattooing the words of Jesus on our hearts. That's what it means to live in the kingdom. And tattooing something on yourself is painful. 
To tattoo something on your heart is painful because you have to change everything about the way you think and live, but it's so worth it because when we become more like Jesus, that's when the world around us really, truly makes sense. And listen, in the kingdom, your ruler changes because outside of the kingdom, when you're outside of the kingdom of God, you're a slave to your sins and worries. You're driven by your sin and you're a slave to your worries and your guilt. When you are in the kingdom with Jesus, listen, you have a confidence in Christ that you're forgiven, free, and full of God's power to do great things for him. It's amazing. You guys, I mean, it's not like, any, it's not like a super complex concept. It's not like to go to the kingdom of God, you must climb the highest mountain and like storm the castle walls and then you'll be in the kingdom. God says you can live like you're in the kingdom of heaven right now while you're on earth. You can be a part of that. How do you do it? You follow what Jesus says. You look at what he says in the Sermon on the Mount and everything Jesus says and you live that way. The kingdom, it changes our focus. It changes how we handle trials. Think of this. This isn't really like a super big trial or anything, but these guys, aren't they? Whoa, hold on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Work. You know what? We don't need the picture. Andrew Garfield and who is the girl? Spider-Man? Emma Stone? They're so cute together. Anyway, um, they went through a trial. It wasn't a really big one, but they were at dinner, and the paparazzi attacked with their cameras, and they came out taking pictures of them. But you know what they did? They said, we're going to take advantage of every trial, this horrible trial. We're going to take the opportunity to do something good. So since they knew people were taking pictures of them, on cardboard, they wrote, since people were taking pictures of us, check out this charity. And they wrote on it this like charity that was helping people. So in all the pictures, it was them holding this picture of a charity that people could go to the website and help and donate and save lives. And I just love that because it's like, here's something that's uncomfortable and not fun, paparazzi taking pictures. Let's take every opportunity to do something good. That's, when we live in the kingdom of God, that's the way we live. If you're going through a trial right now, if you're going through a storm, if you're going through a difficult situation, are you taking every opportunity to bring glory to God in that storm? Are you just thinking, this is uncomfortable for me, this is hard for me, this is difficult for me? And are you thinking all of how can we bless people through this storm? When you stop worrying through those storms and you put your faith in God, when you trust him and when you tell other people that you're trusting him, that speaks volumes to people. That changes lives. The people I look up to the most in my life are the people who went through horrible things and kept their eyes on Jesus the entire time. I'm talking about people who had deaths in the family. I'm talking about people who had their wife die or their child die in birth. I'm talking about people who lost everything but kept their eyes on Jesus the entire time and didn't complain and didn't accuse and point other people but just said, we are trusting Jesus in this trial. It changes everything. It changes how you handle conflict. When you're in a conflict with somebody, when you're in a fight with somebody, instead of saying, Lord, change them, Lord, make them different, you pray and you say, God, make me more like you in this trial. 
Lord, make me more forgiving. Make me more loving. Lord, I know you're going to deal with them. I'm not even going to pray that anything bad happens to them. Lord, I pray you bless them. I pray that you'd help them. I pray that you love them, and, and you're not thinking bad thoughts about them, but you are just praying blessings on them. That is what it means to look on the kingdom, because seriously, we're never more like Jesus than when we're forgiving people while we're still being crucified. He's on the cross, he's hanging, and he's not worrying, he's not freaking out, he's not getting mad at people, he's forgiving people. And maybe you're in a trial and a storm right now, and you've just, you feel like you're on the metaphorical cross with your worries and your problems and your just everything weighing down on you, suffocating you, and God is saying, love the people around you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It changes everything. It changes, when we live for the kingdom, it changes our mission. Think about it. You know, the knights go up to the king, and they're like, hey, we're here. We're living in the kingdom. What's our mission? Are we going to go, like, raid towns and pillage and plunder? And the king says, no. We are going to conquer the world, but through love. Go forth and love people. Go for And that's, that's the mission. Can you imagine? That's, to be in the kingdom, that is, that's like, so important. It's so huge. They ask Jesus, what's the greatest command? Jesus says, love, love, love. Love your neighbor. Love your God. Love your enemy. Love everyone around you. And it's so hard, but it pays off so much. When we choose to live for the kingdom, when we choose to not let worry hold us down, it changes everything. It, traits, it changes how we treat the homeless man. Instead of seeing that guy and worrying and thinking like, oh, if I help him, he'll probably just go buy weed or something. That totally happened to me. I took a high school boy out for lunch, and we saw a homeless guy, and I gave him money. And I was like, so what are you going to use it on? The guy was like, weed, straight up. <laughs> it was not a good day for me. Um, but instead of worrying, you're going to go, how can I love this guy? How can I show him Jesus? I'm going to buy him food. I'm going to tell him about the Lord. It changes how you treat people at school. You're not looking at them thinking, they're a social ladder I have to climb. You're just looking around seeing people who need Jesus. You're just looking around seeing people who need love, the people who are trying to hide it behind their clothes and their appearance and their social status, that every single person in your school has hurts and, and needs and, and heart issues. And you start seeing them with the eyes of God. You start seeing them as people that don't need your judgment, but they need your love. It changes how you treat your family. Your parents stop becoming the enemy, but they start becoming someone that you desperately need to show the love of God to. And we think, oh, our parents need to show the love of God to us. For most of us, they do. But for many of us, what we need to do is show them respect and kindness and love and forgiveness when they mess up, because they will, because they're human. And it changes how we treat our enemy. When people are just yelling at us and just being mean to us and accusing us and just like when people are acting like enemies, instead of looking at them as, you are my enemy, locking target, detonate. That's how we treat our enemies a lot of times. We look at them and we lock on and we fight back. But Jesus says, love your enemy, lay down your sword and love. He says, seek, oh, now you decide to come up. Thank you. Let's go back. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything you're searching for, everything that you're worrying about today will be added unto you. How do you want to spend your life? 
Do you want to spend your life worrying about what you think you don't have? Or do you want to spend your life rejoicing and responding to the treasures that you do have and trusting God that he's going to provide everything that you need? Think about David. David shows up on the battlefield. There's a giant King Goliath, or not King Goliath, Goliath, big, tall, mean. Everyone's worrying. King Saul, the guy who's supposed to be in charge, he's like, I don't know how we're going to do this. Oh my gosh, we're all going to die. And then David comes, and David's like 12 years old, and he's like, give me your armor, Saul. And he like puts on this adult armor, even though he's like a junior high boy, and he goes out and destroys the giant because he wasn't worrying. He put trust in God. Think about Daniel. They tell him, Daniel, you can't pray. He wasn't worried. He wasn't like, oh man, what am I gonna do? I guess I'm never praying again. This is really hard for my spiritual walk that I can't pray in public. Daniel was just like, I'm just gonna pray. I'm just gonna do what God called me to do. He gets thrown in a lion's den. He wasn't worried, maybe a little bit, maybe like when he was like falling into the hole, maybe there was like a bit of worry, but God had it all worked out. He snuggled up with the lions that night and everything was just fine. They got Miriam. Moses' sister, they say, we're going to kill all the babies. Miriam didn't freak out and go, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, my baby brother, he's going to die. She's just like, I'm just going to put him in a basket and throw him down the river and see what happens. Irresponsible? Maybe. (laughs) Well, I guess I'll just put him in a basket. Um, But she had trust in God. She knew that God wanted her to do it, and she wasn't worried. And God took care of everything. In closing, look to the birds, remember that God cares for them. Chase not after the cares of the world that'll just pile on worry, but chase after the God who loves taking your burdens and putting them on his back and carrying them for you. Seek first the kingdom of God because the kingdom will change your life if you decide to live in it. A lot of people just stop at the gates. They get saved and they're at the gates of the kingdom. And they just, they're like, yes, I'm saved, salvation. And they look in the kingdom and they're like, that looks kind of hard to live there. I've got to change some personal things in my life. I think I'll just hang out here in the gate. But what they don't realize is all that stuff that they, they'll have to change, it's a weight and it's a burden that's dragging them down. And God just wants to lift off the burden and show us what true life lives like. Worrying adds nothing but takes everything. Give your worry to the Lord today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much, God, that you love us so much, Lord, that you do not want to let us sit and stew in our worries and freak out. And God, I just sense that there are people here today who are worried about things. Help them to know, God, that you care for them more than anyone ever could. Lord, I pray they would not hide their worry from you in fear that you'd be mad at them for doubting, but they'd understand their doubts are holding them back. And God, all you want is for you, for them to give those doubts and burdens to you so that you can carry them. Lord, we cast our cares on you right now. The things that we're worried about, the things we're freaked out about, the things we're stressed, we cast all of that onto your back and onto your shoulder and onto the cross because we know that you love us. You love us so much. You love the tiniest bird that falls out of the tree. How much more do you love us? Help us to remember your love. Help us, Lord. Lead us to your kingdom where we can live for you. 
Lead us to lay down our worries and walk with you with our whole heart. We love you, Jesus, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.